Romans chapter number 11. And we'll get started this morning so that we can uh, kind of plow down through all this. Romans 11, and uh, we are now down at verse 11. So we're going to jump in uh, here. Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled but that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Now, these two verses contain a lot of information in them. So we're going to take each verse kind of independent even though they go together. Actually, verse 13, 14, and 15 go with them too, where Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnified my office, if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So, there's a lot of information here. This passage is really a very critical passage. Uh, verse 11 uh, outlines uh, the book of Acts for you. Uh, if you come over to chapter 15 of Romans, chapter 15 and verse 8, 15, 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for you. Okay. Then if you come over to chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. There's an outline of Paul's epistles. So you have really here the issue of Paul's epistles are given to you in Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are explained in Romans, as well as uh, the book of Acts. So go back to chapter 11, um, and uh, we can uh, look here. At verse 11 this morning, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So, to mess up a, a nice clean board this morning. So we have learned in chapters 9, 10, and 11 about Israel. They stumbled at the identity of the Messiah. That resulted in the, in the crucifixion. They stumble, but they don't fall. Now they stumble again. Okay? And then they do fall at a point, and then there is a diminishing away. There is a provoking that's going to happen. But then out here, there's a fullness that's going to take place. Okay? Hang on a, just a second. Ricky, i got to adjust this. It just snagged. 
There we go. I hope. <laughs> okay? So we have Paul using some very specific terminology here, very terminology terms used to catch, to solidify what he's been talking about. So again, this is Israel. All right? What do they do? They stumble, but there's no fall. So Calvary is no fall. You'll hear some people say that Israel fell at Calvary. No, they didn't. They're going to stumble again. So this is Matthew to John. This is early Acts. And we're going to do it now. In chapter 7, they fall. In chapters 9 through 28, there's a diminishing and a provoking. And then there's a fullness out here that's going to come that we read about in Hebrews to Revelation. Stuck in here is Romans to Philemon is the body, and it's a Jew and a Gentile that make it up. Okay? You with me? All right, let's go have coffee. Because <laughs> that's what he's talking about. And he's doing it here. And when Paul, what Paul is stressing here by using the terminology, the language, is he's stressing God's purpose in establishing Israel as his people and the fact that that will come to, to pass. So there is no reason for anyone to say, to believe, that the church, the body of Christ, is replacing the nation of Israel. What did Israel do? They fall. By the way, verse 15, he says he cast them away. You know what it is to cast away? It's to throw it away. So there's some things here that are happening that, ha that we have to be very careful with because there is a thought, covenant theologists, reformed theology, people, actually even people who just don't like the word dispensational Bible study, bring in this, hey, the church is replacing Israel. And every time you read Israel in the Old Testament, that is just a code word for church, the body of Christ, and Gentiles, and all this. And that's just not the case. Actually, look at verse 25. Paul actually is warning the church, the body of Christ, in 11.11 and following, because look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Notice, I wouldn't, brethren, that ye be ignorant. Six times he uses that ignorant brethren statement. Ten times Paul says, don't be ignorant. Okay? So six, don't be ignorant. There's some things here that we're to be aware of. Don't be wise in your own conceit. Think about that. Look at what God has now in us. Israel dropped the ball, but we won't drop the ball. See, And actually, back up in the passage, he kind of warns the body, you th when you think that you're something special, just remember what God did to his people. He cut them off. So when you look here, you're to be careful not to think that you're replacing Israel. 
You're to be careful that you're to not to think that you are better than Israel. Rather, you're to understand what is happening. What has happened? Blindness, verse 25, is what? In part. Now, we just spent verse 7, 8, 9, 10 talking about Israel's blindness. What were they blinded to? Their apostasy. They missed the identity of the Lord, their Messiah. They, they're blinded to the fact of what Peter and the little flock are doing in early Acts. And now they're resisting what Paul's doing in the church, the body of Christ. Now, again, Paul's point here is that there's great danger in saying or thinking that we replace Israel because it's a permanent, because what they say is, see, he cast them away, he, he, they fell, he's, he's discarded them, and that's a permanent condition. But what does the verse say? It's in part. It's temporary. That's why he's going to say they stumbled, but they didn't fall. We'll see in a minute they actually stumble again. And then they do fall. It's a temporary language. It isn't permanent. When you stumble, okay, when you trip and fall, what do you usually try and do? Get back up. That's what you do. You get yourself up. See, that's what's happening here. Israel is going to fall. They, do, they stumble. They don't fall. They stumble. They do fall. And yet, verse 26, what does he say? And so all Israel shall be saved. Again, Paul's t language here is temporary. God has not done away with Israel's hope or his prophetic program that he's going to carry out in the nation of Israel, putting her into her kingdom. By the way, the end of verse 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Notice it doesn't say the times of the Gentiles. It says the fullness. That's important when we get down here, I'll tell you now, but it's critical because Israel politically fell with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 9, we see it, but in Daniel. And that with Nebuchadnezzar started the times of the Gentiles. Look over with me at Luke 21. Just so you're looking at me going, huh? You have to understand, Israel fell politically when, when Solomon died and Jeroboam and Rehoboam rend the nation in two. They lose their power, but they don't lose their, their political standing. They just kind of get divided up. But when Nebuchadnezzar comes up and he sacks the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin down there, they, then, uh, what did I tell you, Luke 21, Luke 21, 24. Luke 21, 24. <clears throat> and they shall, and they, that's the, uh, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Who is that? That's Israel. That's the Jews. That's the fifth course judgment, Leviticus 26. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be what? Fulfilled. You see, there it's the times of the Gentiles. Paul doesn't say that. He says until the fullness of the Gentiles become. Two different things. One's political and prophetic. The other one is mystery. When the church, the body of Christ, is in its fullness, go back to Romans eleven twenty five. 25, 
So there's a timing in it. There's going to be an end to the temporary status of Israel. When does that end? When the church, the body of Christ, comes to a con- when the dispen- not I shouldn't say church, when the dispensation of grace comes to a conclusion. The church never ends. We go on forever. It's the, it's the DOG, the dispensation. When, that, when this present day of age of grace ends, then the fullness, now what are we going to do? 1126. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Notice that. What's, what's future? There's a future fullness going to come. Right now, there's a temporary situation. And that's, I'm sorry, verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Who's the they there? The unbelieving Jew, Israel. Now keep reading. But as touching the election, who's that? Believing Israel, the believing remnant. That's who we just, we, we, stit, we took care of that in chapter 10. They are what? Beloved. There's a little flock for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. And again, Paul is highlighting the fact that when God made his promise to Abraham, he made his promise to David, what's, what's going to happen? He is going to do it. So when you come back into verse 11 here, and we start talking about stumbling and falling, and we're just going to go as far as we can this morning, and then next week we'll pick up and we'll get verse 12, and then the next week we'll get verse 13. You know, because I don't, you go run through this, I was reading, a, a, I get stuff in the mail, emails now more than the junk mail. 52 sermons prepared for you. So you, I can go play golf and go to the bike show and just, you know, hang out, collect a paycheck and don't go do, no, do nothing. So I, got, I was like, well, I want to see one of these. Well, they want you to buy it. It's like 500 bucks, okay? I'm not buying it. But so in the website, they had through Paul's epistles, and I'm like, well, that's pretty good in eight weeks. I'm like, like eight years maybe, right? You know, and you know how they handled this section? Just read it and keep going. Why? Because they don't want, they say that they are spiritual Israel. And Paul's like, no, 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 you're not. This is a condition in Israel, see. So when you come in here to verse 11, in the dispensation of grace, Israel's condition of uh, Israel's status is, an, is a blindness in part. It's a temporary until the dispensation of grace is over. And once that's over, what's God going to go do? Finish out the prophetic program. Okay? Now, verse 11. I say then, have they, and again, the they there is Israel. Verse 7, what then Israel had, and this again is apostate Israel, unbelieving Jews here. I, I, I stress that over and over again because the circumcision believer, the little flock believer, is not in this condition. Now, they're in the condition nationally, but they're not worried about nationally. They're worried about getting ready for when this is all over and carrying out the program. But where does Paul go? As his manner is, where does he go? Right into the synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? Those guys in Mark 7, Wednesday night, that the Lord is just blistering them. 
hypocrites. Woe to you, generation of vipers. I mean, these guys are religious, but there's, they, they look good. They're white sepulchers, but on the inside, they're not. They're dead man bones. They're, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. So what does Paul do? C- could you imagine being Paul? And the synagogue knows you as Saul of Tarsus. And you go walking in. Hey, oh, wow, we got a celebrity today. Saul, come on up here. Sit up here in the front row. And he goes down there. And Saul, do you got a word for us? And he gets up and says, yep, I do. I got a good word for you. And he just gives them the gospel and lays into them about Christ being the Messiah. And you missed it. And you stumbled. And you fall. And now you did. And that, and, and you know what? They go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't invite him back. Oh, my goodness. What happened here? See, we looked at that. I mean, I, I let your imagination play with this a little bit because you, that's what would happen. I mean, you think about that. Think about if you had that opportunity from your old church to get up and say, yeah, we're in, de- we're in the dispensation of grace and lay out right division and, you know, watch the eyeballs do what? Go, you know. Anyway, back here. Notice, notice verse 11. Again, critical verse concerning the fall of Israel. They st- have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Now, we have seen their falling, their stumbling, I should say. Go back to chapter 9, just real quick. Chapter 9, because this is going to be critical here. Chapter 9, verse 32, verse 30. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So there's going to be a stone here that they're going to stumble over. Verse 33, as it is written, Isaiah 8, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What do they stumble over? They stumble over the identity of the Messiah. They miss who the stone is. Come over to Matthew, Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. They stumble. Jesus Christ came, when Jesus Christ, Matthew 21, when Jesus Christ came and a Gentile wanted to talk to him, what was his response? Do you remember the Gentile woman? He ignored her. He didn't recognize her. Finally, the disciples came up and said, listen, Lord, she's nagging at us. Would you just deal with her? And he reminded them he wasn't sent but to who? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he would not go out of his way to talk to you. See? And now I would think that if he thought you were replacing Israel, he would have did what? Went out of his way, (laughs) but he didn't do that. Look at Matthew 21, look at verse 33. What's he going to do here? Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. That verse, we could spend an hour on it. The vineyard. Israel is the vine. They're planted in Egypt, and there's this vineyard that comes up out of Egypt, 
And there's the, the, the nation, the householder. There's God the Father, the husbandman. There's the rulers of the nation that were designed there to, to come back up in verse 23 there. And when he had came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders, there's the husbandmen. What were they to do? They're to be the masters. They're to be teaching. They're to be educating the nation. They were failing. The wine press. Think about that. The wine press. What happens in the wine press? The fruit of the, the juice of the wine, the, the blood of the grape is squeezed out. And so you have a picture in the wine press of the, not only the tribulation and the stomping, but the kingdom blessing being established, which is what the tribulation leads them into. Then you have servants. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants. There's the prophets. Verse 35, and the husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another, and he sent other servants. There's the little flock. Here's the twelve unto them the, uh, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. So what are they doing? What's Israel doing to the, to, to the people bringing the word of God to them? They're killing them, beating on them. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. Now think about that. Who's the son? The Lord Jesus Christ. But notice that the father, he anticipates Israel reverencing his son. He doesn't say they might. He doesn't say maybe they will. He says, no, they will reverence my son. But what did Israel do? Well, keep reading. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Uh-oh. You see, they said no to the prophets. They said no to the little flock. They say no to the son. So what, what's going to happen here? What's the, what's, what, what, verse 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. You see, you see how the chief priests and the elders, they know what's, what's up? See how they know what's coming? They don't say, well, we think he's going to do, no, he will do this. You see how they know that Old Testament? They're not Bible blockheads. They're Bible unbelievers. They don't believe the word. Uh, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbands, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Verse, and Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scripture? Now watch, the stone. Now we got the stone, which the builders, what? Rejected. The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, that little flock, that foolish nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of. Look, in that they have they you know they're not dumb. What did Israel do? 
They stumbled over this identity, didn't they? But they don't fall. They just stumbled on it. Come over to Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Notice Peter here. This stumble here results in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Acts 4, Peter's going to say something very interesting here about this. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So hang on a minute. Now we've got the Holy Ghost filled Peter. Matthew 10, he tells them that there's going to be a time when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and when you go out, you won't have to study a word. It'll be given to you. You won't have to come up with the message. It'll be given to you. So here's old Pete, and what, who, who's talking through Peter? You think the Holy Ghost knows what he's going to say? I think he does. Now, who's the audience? Here's the leadership again. So Peter... He's got a spirit-filled word going on here. Verse 11, this is the stone, well, by the way, verse 10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter is not preaching anything new. He's just preaching what the Lord taught him to preach. See, verse 11, this is the stone which was, notice that, set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. You see that issue about being set at naught? Thrown away, rejected. You guys took the stone and you set him over here. Now, we're in Acts. We're in Acts 4. We're on the other side of Calvary, and what are they still doing on the other side of Calvary? Stumbling. You see that? So there's a post-crucifixion stumble to the stumble. They stumbled. It's got two parts, pre and post. <laughs> okay? Look over. They began to stumble at the identity of the Messiah, but they don't fall at the cross because what's Peter saying? You're still stumbling. If they fall, then they're not stumbling anymore. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you, do you follow that? I hope you do because it's important. Because what happens is, is people say, oh, they fell at Calvary. No, they don't. Peter says in the and we just used Acts 4. He does it in a couple other places. But 1 Peter, he's... He's writing 1 Peter in the book of Acts, more than likely. And notice what he says. 1 Peter 2, again, verse 4. To whom coming as unto a what? Isn't that interesting? They've got this stone over here again. There's another, there's a, but he's a living stone. To the unbeliever, he's a smiting stone, isn't he? He's a grinding stone. But to the believer, he's a living stone. He's a head cornerstone. He's the foundation stone. Uh, uh, verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Notice that. Man, is what, is, what have they done? They've sat him at naught. They've disallowed him. 
Verse 6, wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. What's going on here? What is Peter raising? He's raising the fact that after Calvary, you guys, we're still stumbling over the same stone. We haven't learned our lesson yet. We're still there. By the way, he quotes Isaiah 28. Run back there to Isaiah 28. So they stumble at the earthly ministry of the Lord and the identity of Messiah, Isaiah 28, but they don't fall. And now in the early Acts period, what are they doing? Stumbling, but they don't fall. They haven't fallen yet. Let me say it like that, because they do in Acts 7. We'll get there in just a minute, okay? So Peter is clear that there is a, not only is there a pre-stumble, pre-Calvary, but there's a post-crucifixion stumble as well. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, and look at verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a what? When did they try him? When do they try the stone? Three and a half years, don't they? They question him, they get him, they look at him, they examine him. So the tried stone, there's the three and a half years of his earthly ministry. A precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And there we are. Think about that. They try, three and a half years, they try him out. By the way, he's then called a precious stone. Why would the Lord, why would the Father call him precious? Because where has he been? He's been to Calvary. He's been that obedient son all the, through all of it. He's looked at the wrath, the, in, the cup of indignation, and he walked on through it, took care of it. So what is he now to the Lord? Precious. What's the foundation? The foundation is him, but it's Calvary for Israel. It's, it's him, his, it's his cross work for you and I. It's Calvary, see? So when we come here, in Acts 1 to 7, after the stone has been tried, what did the Lord say? Remember there, Luke, he says, give me another year and dung about this fig tree. See if we can't get some fruit on it. And after that, if there ain't nothing, cut her down. Get rid of her. So from Acts 1 to 7, you have a year. Now, by the way, come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Watch Paul weigh in on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So when Paul says, what shall we say then? Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. That's stumbling two pieces. One, the Messiah, earthly ministry. And then two, the early Acts period. Okay? They don't fall. See that? They don't fall at Calvary. 
They don't fall when the Lord starts speaking in parables. Most of the time, Matthew 12 is where they, well, they'll lay in where Israel has finally fallen because the fig tree no longer budded and stuff. So that's the fall of Israel and boom. And yet when you get in here, we'll see here in just a second, that's not the case. Now, just real quick, look at Paul, 1 Corinthians 1. Notice verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Only Paul says this, by the way. The gospel is connect, the preaching of the gospel is connected to the preaching of the cross of Christ. How did Peter handle the cross? Remember Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4? By wicked hands, you murdered him, you killed him. It's not a positive thing, is it? It's a bad thing. It's a negative thing in Israel's history. Why? Because they stumbled. They missed him. Now, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Boy, that's good news right there. If you drop down to verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a what? Isn't that interesting? Stumbling block. And under the Greeks, foolishness. Even today in the age of grace, what is Calvary to a Jew? It's a stumbling stone. It's a roadblock. Why? Because it goes against every bit of religion out there. Christ says, I did it for you. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> what does religion say? Nope, I got to do. Give me something to do. Doop, doop, doop. You know, it's easy to follow rules and regs. It's hard to act like an adult. It really is, which is what grace says. You're an adult, now go act like it. Religion says, no, you're still a little child. Here, let me help you. Anyway, go back to Romans 11. I digress, and I don't have time to digress. Look at Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall. So now I hope you see why Paul words this verse the way he does. They stumbled, but they don't fall. Why? They're stumbling over Messiah. They're stumbling over the little flock's ministry. By the way, the little flock is just preaching what the Lord told them to preach. There's nothing new. There's nothing, a new message, a new woo. No, it's a continuation on. And yet, Paul then will say, but they do fall. So then the question is, <laughs> is when does this happen? That's the question. And again, it's critical here to catch what Peter says. And we're going to go back into, back into action in just a second. Because Peter, he says, listen, you guys stumbled at Messiah, you stumbled at his earthly ministry, and now you're stumbling at the ministry of the little flock, no fall. And then Paul says, yeah, but they have fallen. So again, the question, come back to Acts 2. So the question then is, is when did Israel historically fall? That's the question. When did that, say? again, let Peter talk to you about this. Because what happens is, and I'm using Peter because who's Peter? Peter, everybody loves Peter, just like they, everybody loves Moses. Everybody loves Peter. Peter can do no wrong. Well, watch what Peter says, and that's fine. I'm, I know Paul's our apostle, 
But we're talking about Israel's program and what's happening with Israel. But So watch Peter. Acts 2, we have the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. The day of Pentecost starts with 120 in the upper room. They get the Holy Spirit. It ends with adding 3,000. So by the end of the day, there's 3,120 in the little flock. That's a mega church. That's how you do it. One day, three grand, 3,000 people. I mean, that's pumping it out there, okay? It took us a few years to get to 50, you know? I, I read these, I listen to these guys, and oh, man, we started with 20, and now we're 20,000, and it took us 10 years to get there. And I'm like, dude, it took the Lord one day to get to three. So come on, give me a break, you know? Anyway, look at verse 34. Peter stands, he's talking, he's dealing with Israel, with the men in, of Israel, and he says in verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Now, he's going to quote Psalms 110, verse 1. So this is not something Peter made up on the fly. It's been talked about by who? By David. Watch what he says. Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now, think about this. We're in the early Acts period. And Peter, we're in chapter 2, and he says, sit, until I make your foes your footstool. Now, you know what a footstool is, something you stand on. It's not an ottoman. I heard a guy, oh, it's an ottoman. It ain't an ottoman. You don't kick your feet up on it. You go out there and you put it to work. You stand on it, okay? We call it a stepladder, but it's a footstool. By the way, If you've ever milked a cow, you know what you were sitting on? A footstool. That's what you were sitting on, okay, when you did it. If you ever milked any animal, that's what, that's footstool, okay? What is it? It's something you're going to be, you're, you are going to stand on, work on. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a utensil used to accomplish something. But notice what Peter says. Peter says, the Lord said, David said, The prophet said, sit. Now, if you're going to sit, what are you doing? You're resting, aren't you? Are you engaged in any activity? Not at all. Last night, I got home and was sitting there, and uh, I ran out to the post office, come back. I sit down, and I look at Lynn. I said, we're in, right? She goes, yeah. I go, good, I'm going to sit now. And that's her her and I kind of code word of we ain't doing nothing no more. We're done. Okay, the day's done. We're just going to sit, eat dinner, and uh, watch a little TV and eventually fall asleep in the chair and and go to bed. Okay? (laughs) Sit after the cross work, after everything he's just performed, after him walking through the cup of the wrath of the indignation of the Father. Romans 8, God spared not his son. God doesn't hold back the wrath. He's just walked through all of that. And what does the Lord say? Sit. Sit sit thou on my right hand until. That's a timing word. Until a point comes, we're going to do something until. There's a point that your foes, I make 
Notice, I make thy foes. The Father's doing this for the Son. We miss that sometimes. It isn't the Son. It's the Father, the Father's activity here. He says, Son, you sit here until I make thy foes, foes, enemies. Who's, who's the Lord's enemy? Apostate Israel. That's his enemy. The Gentiles too, but in the context, who is Peter talking to? Israel, you men of Israel. So you're going to sit here. Now, what Peter's doing is he's warning Israel about you're the foe, and there's going to be a day coming out here where you're going to be destroyed. Isaiah 28, you're going to be destroyed. And there's going to be a point in time out here when Christ is no longer going to be sitting, and he's going to come back and he's going to make them your, his footstool. He's going to carry out the prophetic program. Chapter 3, Acts 3, verse 22. Acts 3, 22. For Moses, 3, verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So there's the Lord. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. You can't get any clearer than that. Who's his foes? The unbelieving nation. That's who they are. Peter is warning them about something that's coming. It's not time yet, but the time will come. So what you guys need to do is you guys need to be believing what the Lord Jesus Christ taught us back there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why I kept saying, Pete's not saying anything new. Moses said, you're going to have a prophet like unto me. You need to hear him. You need to listen to him. You need to believe him. Peter says, don't you remember that? And they're going, uh-uh. Where's that at? Well, how about Deuteronomy 18? That's where it's at, Okay. They had it, they just didn't believe it. They're going to destroy you. Now come over to Acts chapter 7. Again, folks, Peter's very clear. The fall's going to happen when he decides to get up and do something. Now if you're sitting, if you're going to go do something, what do you got to do? You got to stand up. See, now look at Acts 7. We have Stephen. We have the stoning of Stephen. But I want you to catch some things in the verses here because they're critical. Stephen, he's a man full of the Holy Ghost. They're rejecting him. They're, they're withstanding him. Verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And that issue of what is called the only unpardonable sin. Actually, there's two, but that one is in Matthew. Uh, the, sec the other one is in Revelation where you take the mark of the beast. You can't get out of that one, okay? So there's more than one unpardonable sin. You just, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. Usually you don't even bring it up because it opens up a can of worms, <laughs> you know. But so anyway, so the unpardonable sin, Matthew 12, Matthew 13, 
What can you do? You can blaspheme the Son and the Father. You just can't blaspheme the Holy Ghost. So what did they do? They blasphemed the Father in killing John the Baptist, the type. They killed the Son. There's the the Lord. And now they're killing Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost. All pictures here. Now watch verse 55. And he, that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost. Notice how it's repeated. Anytime you see a repeat in Scripture, you better pay attention to it. It's important. And it's important in the argument and what's happening. He looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So Stephen looks up and he sees the glory of the, of the Lord, I'm sorry, the glory of God and Jesus standing. He sees two things when he looks up. He sees the glory aspect and then he sees the Lord standing. Now, the reason I'm pointing these out is because you need to understand when he looks up and he sees the glory, he's seeing something very specific because it prompted him to say, verse 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, what does he say? Don't hold this against them. There's something happening here. Now, verse 55, people will say that when the Lord stands up, it's, he's standing up to receive Stephen into his bosom. No, he's not. The man's full of the Holy Ghost. He's good to go. He, he's standing to welcome Stephen home to heaven. No, he's not. Stephen's good to go. What's he standing for? But before you do that, you've got to catch the glory. Because when he sees the glory of God, it triggers in his mind to say, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. He sees something. Look at Matthew 16. Because the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, is connected with the issue of the armies of, the, of, of heaven and the angelic host as they are ready for wrath, ready for battle. Matthew 16, verse 27. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man shall come. Okay? Well, he's there, so what coming is this? Second coming. All right? He's already present. Shall come in the glory of his Father with his, what? Angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. What's he going to do? When the Lord comes back the second time, does he come back on the, on the ass of a donkey and the baby donkey? No, he comes back what? Man of war. He's the Lord of war. It's time for battle. So when, he's, when they see the glory of the Father, the glory of God coming, what do they see coming with him? The army of heaven, the angels. And what are they outfitted in? Come over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. They're not outfitted in fairy dust and wings and Tinkerbell stuff. They're outfitted in battle array. They're over there. You remember Elijah, and he says, peel back to some, or Elisha, one of the two, peel back so you can see, because he thinks we're, they're encircled, and he looks up and he says, man, I see all of the heaven host, and the horses of fire, the flesh of fire, ready to come back, and there's 10,000s of them up there. 
That's what Stephen is seeing. Stephen is seeing the glory, not the Shekinah glory of a bright light. And, oh, here he comes. You know, that's all just mysticism, stupidity. He looks up in there and he says, you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing God ready to come back and pour out his wrath. Father, don't lay it to their charge because it's going to be brutal. You know what's happened in Acts 7? They are now his footstool. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And look at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, second coming, and all the who? Holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. When he comes back, folks, he ain't coming back with the saints. He's coming back with who? Michael and the archangel and the armies, the, the angelic host out there. The angels are ready for battle. When Stephen looks up and he sees the Lord standing, what he sees behind the Lord is all of the battalions ready for war, ready for battle, ready to pour out wrath. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The glory that Stephen saw was the angelic host ready for war, for battle, to pour out the wrath. So he says, Father, don't lay it to the charge because about what is about to happen here? What's he see going to happen? Well, he sees 2 Thessalonians 1. So again, I'll just say it sarcastically here. The Lord ain't standing to receive Stephen into heaven. He's standing to come back and do something. What did Acts 2 say? Sit, footstools. Until Acts 7, he's standing. And the glory, the wrath, is ready to come. 2 Thessalonians 1, look at verse 7. And do you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels? in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say he's with his angels. I heard a guy one time say, oh, but the angels, they're ministering spirits, don't you know? Well, yeah, they are. But when it's time to go to war, guess what they can do? They can walk over there and put the battle armament on and go to war. They're not milk toast little wannabes. Verse 7, they're what? Mighty angels. They, these guys are ready for battle. You see, Stephen, go, go back to, there to Acts 7. Stephen sees the Lord, but what he sees first is what? The glory of God. He sees the, the battle-rayed heavens ready to come back and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. He's ready to come back. So what does he do? Verse 60, Father, don't lay this to their charge. It's about to get ugly. And they have no clue. They don't get it. They're rejecting. They're rejecting. They're rejecting. So he, and then he sees the Lord do what? Stand. Come back to Isaiah. Isaiah. When you see the Lord stand up, what does Peter say? Isaiah, um, get Isaiah 3. Peter says, 
David says, Psalms 110 says, my Lord's going to say, sit until I make your enemies, your foes, your footstool. Acts 7, approximately a year later, what does he say? Enough's enough. It's time to, time to move on with the program. Israel has stumbled, and now they are going to fall. Isaiah 3, verse 13. The Lord standeth up to plead and judge, and standeth to judge the people. Look at that. That's, anytime you see the Lord stand up, What's he, what, what is it? Isaiah 319. Or, I'm sorry, 313. By the way, you take chapter 2, you start reading in verse 11 to the end of that chapter, and you know what you read about? You read about the day of the Lord and the Lord's day of wrath, and you know what he does in verse 19? He arises to shake terribly the earth. It's not a good thing. At this time in their program, it's bad news. So what? come over to to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. So what Stephen say? Lord, don't lay it to their charge because it's about to get brutally ugly and they don't have a clue as to why it's coming. Zechariah 2. Look at Zechariah 2, verse 12. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. He's done it once. He's got to do it again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. Could you imagine hearing that from heaven? Be silent, all of you, all flesh, be silent. Now watch. For he is raised up out of his holy habitation. That's not good when he's got to come up out of his holy habitation. He's been sitting. Now he's going to do what? Stand. It's time. Zechariah 3, verse 1, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Standing. Here, the Lord stands as an advocate on Israel's behalf. Joshua there. Okay? And there's an issue there that when he's standing, it has to do with judgment that's coming together. Something's happening. So when he stands, come over to Psalm 7. It, it isn't to be lost on what he's doing. Psalms 7. So he's stand. By the way, in Zechariah 3 there, Israel's about to be judged by the adversary because the Lord's standing there to deliver them. And they're like, wait a minute, how can the lawful captive be how can the captive lawfully be taken away here? They're mine. They broke the law. And you know what the Lord, the angel of the Lord's going to do? By the way, that's the Lord. He's going to stand there and he's going to say, when I said it was finished on the cross, it was finished. And they're free. I, I paid. I blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against them. I took care of that for them. And there's nothing you can do about it, buddy. So pound sand. And, and he does. Psalm 7, look at verse 6. Here is, Arise, O Lord, 
in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of my enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. See how arising and getting up and judgment are all kind of connected there? The plea of the little flock in the 70th week of Daniel is, is more than how long you're going to wait till you come back and avenge the blood of your servants. But rather, it's, hey, isn't it time for you to get up? <laughs> isn't it time? I think it's time, chapter 9, chapter 9, 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know them to be but men. Selah. Time to get on with this, Lord. Come on. Time to stand up. Come back and judge. Chapter 12. Psalms 12. Psalms 12, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Wow, look at that. That cry of vindication. To, to vindicate. Arise. It's time to get up. It's time to judge. It's time to come and make war. Now, come back with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and watch Paul say something to this effect as well. So when historically did Israel fall? Acts 7, stoning of Stephen. Okay? So when someone says Israel fell at Calvary, nope. They fall in Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen. Now, watch Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 here. Because 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, one of Paul's early books he wrote, probably the first books, depending on how you want to look at Galatians, okay? Watch verse, uh, well, we need verse 16, but just get verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ, that's not the verse I wanted. How about 1 Thessalonians? Yeah, there we go. 1 Thessalonians 2. <laughs> All right, first mistake. 1 Thessalonians 2. That was a good verse, though. Those were great verses. 1 Thessalonians 2. Somebody should have said, hey, no, that's not what you want, but you don't know where I'm going, do you? 1 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 16. Forbidding us, that, verse 14. For, for ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Ye also, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. So what'd they do? They stumbled, they stumbled, they stumbled, now they're going to fall. Okay? Now watch him do this, verse 16. Forbidding us, so there was standing Paul, there was standing the, the message that's holding back the wrath, because Stephen sees the Lord standing right? But where did he go to talk to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus? Ephesians 1 says he goes far above all of it. He leaves the second heaven and goes back up to the third heaven. And from the third heaven communicates to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. See? 
He left the universe. Why? Because anyway, we can get into all that and we'll be here all day. Look at verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to, to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Now watch carefully. To fill up their sins always. For the wrath shall come upon them to the uttermost. I didn't read that, did I? For the wrath, notice that word, is come. Notice Paul doesn't say is coming, has come, shall come. It says what? Is come. Now what wrathful act did God take against the unbelieving apostate Jew in Acts 7? According to Romans 11, 11. What did he do to them? They fell. The judicial fall of the nation of Israel happened in Acts 7. The wrathful act in Acts 7 that the Lord poured out on Israel was you are cast away. You are no longer my people. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go do something different. You are fallen. Did they stumble? Yes. Did they fall? No. But then they did what? Go back to Romans 11. Go back to Romans 11 and we'll finish. It's time to be done. Romans 11. I know I say that, and I don't know why I say that. But Romans 11, 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. When does that happen? The wrath that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2, 16 is poured out right there in Acts 7. They fall. They are no longer God's favored people. They are no longer God's favored nation. That's why in Acts 8, they're scattered, sent out. Get out of town. Get out of Jerusalem. They're gone. They're not in Jerusalem. That's why in Acts 9, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is down there getting letters to go to where? Not Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, by the way. There's nobody there for him to persecute. So where's he going? To Damascus. He's going north. Time to get out. Let's go. We got to go. He probably had letters to go everywhere. And it's on that road... At that moment, that the Lord, far above all principality, power, and might, and heavenly places, reaches down and says, you're my guy. And he says, yes, I am. And off he goes. Now, there's a, so Paul, in answering the challenge here, did Israel stumble? Yes. But they didn't fall. But then they do fall. And now salvation has come unto the Gentiles Then he says, for to provoke them to jealousy. And then in verse 12, there's the diminishing. In verse 14, there's another provoking. And we'll deal with all that next time, okay? Uh, But just catch what's going on here. We are not Israel. And who we are is the church, the body of Christ. And Israel is is in a scenario of fallen cast away and God was right and unjust in doing it and sending salvation to the Gentiles apart from the nation of Israel and that is literally what the rest of the book of Acts explains from 9 to 28 in this diminishing and provoking ministry of Paul it explains that you got Israel you messed up and God is just right to go deal with the Gentiles apart from you. It's a temporary thing. 
and we'll get to the permanency down the road. Okay? All right, I took five more minutes, but you'll forgive me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for everything that you've given to us in your Son, for the dispensation of grace, for your long-suffering, for your patience, for your mercies. In your name we pray, amen. All right. We'll